0: Welcome back to episode two of what is the church according to Jesus? Why does it matter? Should I, why should I belong to one? Why do, I, why do I need to participate in the church? What does the church do? What is its function? So if you've not watched episode one of this little mini series of teachings, I encourage you to do that. But to summarize, as I like to do, as we've discussed through Matthew 16, the church is about the, the father who reveals the centrality of King Jesus who's the foundation upon which it's built, the fountain from whom all of the blessings flow, the certainty of its progress being built, the mission for which it's formed and the governing kingdom purposes that Jesus has given it. This is, according to Matthew 16, the reality of the church, a father who reveals the true identity and nature of his son, who fulfills all of Israel's all the scriptures, promises, and prophecies of the one who would come to establish the kingdom, reveal the Father, become the perfect once and for all atoning sacrifice for sins and who would form a new humanity of Jew and Gentile, young and old, male and female from every nation, language, tribe, and tongue to become a kingdom of priests for God the Father and for the glory of the Son, Jesus. This is, according to Jesus, Matthew 16, what Jesus says about the church. Now, let's go on in Matthew 16. This is super important. It's built by Jesus. It's built on Jesus. And Jesus establishes how the church is meant to operate, who it's built on and how it's meant to operate. So look what the very next passage of scripture after this epic paragraph in Matthew 16 of what Jesus says about the church after Peter confesses, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, that within the church, there are to be no celebrities, only cross bearing disciples. Now this is pointy, but listen. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they have done. So according to Jesus, the church is filled of disciples who deny themselves, take up their cross, follow Jesus, lose their life and to be drawn into the life of Christ who each have an assignment to steward the grace God has given and with an eternal reward in store for the future. Now that's a mouthful, let me say it again. After he establishes who the church is built on and how the church is to operate, he then describes the kind of disciple that's meant to be formed within the body of Christ, the church. Those who deny themselves, we're not at the center of the story, Jesus is, who take up their cross, who choose to pattern our whole life out of the sacrificial self-emptying reality of the incarnate love of Christ himself. Then it says, who follow Jesus. So deny, die, follow. So Jesus is very clearly saying within the church, I am the leader. Now he's installed human leaders, but human leaders have the sobriety and fear of God that he wants to instill in us because they're Jesus's sheep. We're under shepherds, we're we're, we're under leaders, under the great leader, the great head, the great king, who lose their life, and so to be drawn into the life of Christ. So to bear the stigma, to bear the cultural stain, to identify with Jesus no matter the cost or consequence. And then he says he'll reward each person according to what they've done. So that each disciple has a, a measure of grace, a measure of gifts, a measure of power, a measure a purpose and a role within the body that has an eternal reward. So again, you can screenshot it. This is what the kind of disciple that Jesus is forming within his church. And again, this is the church. The context is Jesus is saying um, who the church is built on, who it's built by, and how it's meant to operate. Isn't that amazing? He says the word church twice, which is ecclesia, two times in 28 chapters. That doesn't mean that other parts of the Bible, both Old Testament and New, don't describe how God's people are supposed to operate, because it does. Paul is a master church planter who every letter has gobs of practical um, implications for who we are because of Christ, how we're meant to operate, live, and function in the world. but. I just find it so powerful and so galvanizing to just go back to Jesus and to look again to what he says and what he declares about his church because he's building it. He's at the center of it. He's the one who's given us the hellstorming kingdom mission and given us government authority to intercede, to pray and participate in the kingdom, breaking into the earth as it is in heaven. But he reminds us very, very carefully uh, carefully it might not be the right word, but very pointedly, that within the church it's a company of disciples who are cross carrying, who are emptying themselves of the, all of their own rights, who are willing to bear the stain and stigma of being identified with King Jesus, who each have a measure of grace that they're meant to to utilize and steward with an eternal reward at the end of the age what's so interesting is right now i just encourage you is this what you think of when you think of church i know all of us we have baggage and experience but i my my goal in these simple teachings cuz as a pastor and a leader of a local church and a participant in the body of christ globally it is so easy to spin the wheels and gosh god what is the church supposed to be what is it supposed to do and how are we supposed to function and I, this this whole little teaching was just one long exploration that the spirit took me on as I was like, I'm just going to have fun and go back to what Jesus says about the church. And so I encourage you to do the same thing, just specifically live in Matthew 16 for a season. This is what I'm, what I'm teaching about. So are we good? It's built on Jesus. It's built by Jesus. And it's meant to operate as a company, a community of mutually submitted disciples who are following Jesus, who are denying self, carrying our cross, stewarding the grace and gifts that God has given us, and each participating in the hellstorming kingdom mission that Jesus told us we would uh, operate in. This is incredible. Each one is called to be a disciple, a lifelong learner and student, Each one has a kingdom purpose. Each one gets to participate. Every disciple in the church gets to participate in the Hellstorming Kingdom mission. We all get to do that in different ways with different roles and uh, responsibilities, but that, that banner is what flies over the entire church. How exciting, how amazing to get to participate in God's redemptive purposes. So... Literally the only other time Jesus speaks directly of the church has to do with dealing with sin in the church. Again, he, I think disciple is used 299 times. It's not that he's not sh- saying more things about how the church is supposed to operate. I'm specifically saying the times he actually uses the word church, ecclesia, the only other time that he uses it. So who it's built on, who it's built by, how it's meant to operate, and then how to deal with sin in fellow disciples, brothers and sisters. This is so offensive in our modern cancel culture, but it is such a gift that Jesus told us directly how to help us deal with our our own sin and brothers and sisters who are stuck and who are returning to bad habits, sinful habits, who are allowing self to, to, to rise back up and thus causing all of us in a real, an actual real way to suffer its consequences by diluting the water, if you will. Um, let's unpack it. So he says it in Matthew 18, if your brother or sister, which is the main way the Bible, by the way, the Bible describes the church as a family, um, brothers and sisters is by far the number one way that he describes it. Brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, disciples who are brothers and sisters. If they sin, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So what we know from this is that church, so let me just get off the screen here there is no perfect church. Can we slay that? Can we slaughter it? Can we destroy that mindset? There is not a perfect pastor. There's not a perfect worship team. There's not a perfect ministry. There's not a perfect perfect strategy. There's not a perfect brand. There's not a perfect style. We can go from church hopping to church hopping to church hopping. The moment someone sins against us or we, we don't get our needs met, And Jesus is like, the only other time he speaks of the church is how to deal with sin between brothers and sisters. When we sin against each other, we harm each other, we hurt each other. This is so important to hear in our culture. I know you're probably like, dude, I don't believe you. It's too hard, whatever. This is, again, we're just going back to the source of what Jesus says about his church. That the church is meant to be a reconciling community. Harboring sin is not an option long term and tolerating habitual practices that are not in continuity with the call of Jesus and his kingdom principles must be taken seriously. So we're not just little offended, you know, light skinned, oh, they hurt me, oh, blah, blah, no, 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 we, we have to play the long game with each other. Each of us is on a spectrum of sanctification where the gospel is transforming more and more of our parts, but we're not turning a blind eye to sin. We're not just harboring bitterness and envy, but when a brother or sister sins against us, we have the responsibility, again, if you take Jesus seriously, to go directly to them, not to your friend circle, not even to your small group, not even to your whatever social media rant to go to a brother or sister and to lovingly confront them with their behavior that caused detri- that caused difficulty harm that was a sin against you you're meant to go seek rest- reconciliation you're meant to go to that person directly harboring ignoring yes we want that 1 Peter 4 love that covers a multitude of sins operating so It doesn't mean you go correct or bring every little single little thing. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Just by being human with our personality quirks, our idiosyncrasies and the like. But when the relationship has been fractured, maybe that person didn't even intend it, but where there's been a rift in the peace that's meant to reign and rule in the body of Christ, Colossians 3, 15 through 17, we're meant to go directly to that brother or sister not harbor and not retal listen, oh the alternative to reconciliation for us in our cultural moment is to retaliate, get even, or just cancel. And Jesus is like, not in my church. Not that's not how I am designing my church to operate. The things that cause people stumble are bound to come. Offense, being let down, being hurt these are a part of being human and hanging out with other humans our humanity is not absolved the moment we come to christ now praise god he begins to change and transform our humanity but we're on a long transformation process how much growth do we miss out on if every time it gets hard or we get hurt we run i'm not talking about uh abuse sexually, emotionally, mentally, do not misquote me. There are times to not go to that person and to go and be safe. That's a whole nother teaching. We're talking about just the normal operation of, oh, oh, dealing with people. That harboring, retaliating, and getting even, or even ignoring, Jesus is like, that's not, that's a false piece that our culture serves up by the gobfuls. I want my peace to reign and rule in in an actual manifest way and the only way that's going to happen is if we have we're willing to have difficult conversations with each other. Tolerating practices that are 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 soiling that are hurting the community, hurting our witness, hurting the fellowship are meant to be taken seriously. Turning a blind eye to known sin in each other is not the kind or compassionate thing to do because sin is like cancer. So, so many of us, we don't wanna tread if they've sinned against us or we see a brother or sister picking up their bad habits or or sins. And again, this all has to be done with discernment, with care, with the good of the other person as your primary concern, not you as some moralistic, you know, pharisaical police officer. Again, the love of Christ is meant to motivate and compel us to restore fellowship and friendship, but we can't afford to just turn a blind eye. If we see a brother or sister struggling and we're in fellowship with them, and there's that common uh, understanding that we're in this church together, we need help. We need each other. I, I, I remember one time I read the parable of the sower, very famous, Matthew 13, the, the, the four types of soil. And I always have taken that from an individualistic perspective interpretation. So how many seeds does the enemy steal from my path? How many times do I have a little bit uh, uh, of, of initial growth and then because it gets hard or persecution, the seed dies or that the thorns and thistles choke out the life and then only one out of the four really grow the fruits of the kingdom, the good soil. But I thought this is a parable for the kingdom community. We're meant to go to war for each other's destiny and fullness. When we, We're contending, Lord, don't let the enemy steal the seed in my brother James or, or Joss or, or Samantha or Lindsay. Like, Jesus, don't, don't let the enemy steal the seed. The parable is an invitation to pursue kingdom community that contends for the fullness of God's word and God's will to be fully manifest in our brothers and sisters, Yes, it's individual soils, but it also is corporate soil. We want to persevere. We want to make sure there's not thorns and thistles in our body, our spiritual family that's choking out the life of God. We can't afford to turn a blind eye because sin is like cancer, unconfessed and unrepented. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 13. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not meaning the people of the world who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. No, I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, a believer, but who is sexually immoral, greedy, idolater, slander, drunkard, or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it mine to judge those outside of the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. So expel the wicked person from among you. Now, again... You probably just, if you're in our generation, just got triggered a thousand times. You can't treat people like that. But Paul, as a master architect, builder of local churches is like, y'all don't think Jesus takes our sins serious? Many of us have a poor, anemic vision of sloppy grace. God will just keep forgiving me. It doesn't matter how I behave, my attitude, my action. I know my character's whack. Now he is infinitely kind and patient and humble and gracious. Oh, bless God that he has, his love is patient. But within the church, Paul is saying, I'm not saying you hold the world to a biblical kingdom standard, but don't think I'm not serious about how you hold brothers and sisters who are claiming fidelity to Christ, but who are full of greed, idolatry, slander, and sin. Again, this should humble all of us. But Paul is very clearly saying, now the Corinthians were whack, but probably not any more whack than we are if we're honest about sin. And he's saying that when sin is not taken seriously within the body of Christ, again, Jesus is addressing how to deal with sin between brothers and sisters and within brothers and sisters. Because sin is like cancer, it destroys our joy, it destroys our sense of confidence, it destroys our sense of purpose, it destroys our sense of belonging. John said in 1 John, it says, if you're walking in darkness, you don't have fellowship with God or people. So walk in the light as he is in the light and the blood of Jesus, his son, will purify us from all sin, so that we have fellowship with God and with one another. So we're not holding each other to a sinless perfection lens. That's the farthest thing from what Paul is saying. He's saying those who are by habit, they're choosing to live perpetually, habitually sinning against the known law and will of God that is out of step with God and his gospel. We're meant to not turn a blind eye to that, but to confront it head on because it's affecting all of us the witness of the church the shalom the power the peace and presence that jesus wants to reign and rule when we gather together and when we go and live our everyday normal lives the sin tolerated in the church has the capacity to spread like leaven and give ride to give rise like leaven does to other behaviors attitudes and actions that will dilute the potency, the salty and light emanating community of disciples that we're meant to walk in. As members of Christ's body, we belong to each other's. Now, these principles are nearly impossible for us to grasp in the Western, highly individualized, autonomous, and independent culture that we're all formed by, but just because they're hard for us to grasp or agree with in the flesh doesn't mean they're not God's standard. That was a lot and that's heavy, but this is what Jesus said about the church. Who it's built on? Jesus. It confesses Jesus is Lord, Messiah. Who it's built by? Jesus. It has a hell storming, kingdom mission, this church is meant to be filled with cross-bearing, denying self, following Jesus, using gifts and graces, stewarding them for His glory and the good of those around us with a eternal reward. And that when we're not operating out of that because of sin, because of other loves and lusts, we're meant to lovingly confront brothers and sisters when we are not living in accordance with God's will and God's word. This is so important and it's so amazing how much we actually, we need to recover this because sin is killing us. The wages of sin is death. You don't just get wages. That passage is not just talking about hell someday for those who don't know the gospel, haven't responded to Christ, but wages are something you get paid twice a month. So in the body of Christ, again, the goal is not oh we're all going to become sinless and never sin and need the mercy of God. No, one day sin will be will be it'll be done in the age to come. But in this age, it, just because uh, we're all afraid of one, you know, I don't want to be a Pharisee or harsh guys. We need each other, brothers and sisters. We need each other to help us live out of our redemptive potential and to live in alignment and agreement with the King and His Kingdom. We need people to hold us to the biblical standard, not culture standard, not what makes me feel good. No one wants to live that life, if we're honest. No one. All of us long for integrity. All of us long for continuity of who we are in private and who we are in public. All of us long to grow. And when we taste Christ, we want more of Christ. So even though these truths about who it's built on, who it's built by, cross-carrying disciples who are following Jesus as brothers and sisters, confronting sin in ourselves and in each other, pursuing reconciliation instead of retaliation. I know it's so hard to hear this, but unapologetically, this is what Jesus has spoken over his church for all time. This is the kind of church we wanna be a part of and we wanna build together. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So when you're dealing with reconciliation and the f- sins within ourselves and within brothers and sisters and, and and repairing the rifts of relationship, what Jesus is saying by that passage of the keys of the kingdom, you've got heaven's authority right there in real time making that a reality on earth as it is in heaven. That's how serious... Jesus takes repairing relationships, where sin has soured or caused harm, or vandalized God's vision of Shalom within his body. When we deal with it, you, Jesus is saying, there's kingdom authority that's, that's backing you up when you'll pursue that kind of church, experience, that kind of church life. Now people will get offended, people will flail their arms, they might leave the church, et cetera. But you have to remember, at the core of the confession, of what it means to be in the church is it's, we're called to be a group of people who are denying ourself, carrying our cross and following Jesus together. So when self resurrects, the fleshly me centered, self-absorbed world, my own kingdom, my own wants, wills and wishes, lusts and longings, when that thing tries to spring back up, we're meant to help each other lovingly and say, no, 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 no. That path will lead to death and destruction. Keep the self crucified so you can live out of the new humanity, the new creation power and purpose that Jesus Christ has made available to every one of his sons and daughters within the church community. Jesus lifts our collective eyes and he gives us a template. Jesus did not turn a blind eye or tolerate our festering sin, but rather he is the lamb of God who has taken away the sin of of the world. When we bind and loose, we are agreeing and accessing the atoning work of Christ in real time and amongst real people. When people within the church community stop responding to the kindness, grace, and mercy, and love of Jesus and his call of repentance, renouncing of sin, heaven says to hand them over. That's what Paul said in First Corinthians 5. Let them Let them see and experience the reality of the path they're choosing to forge, the path of self, of flesh, and of sin. Let them see, let them taste where that road will lead because you can't coerce or make them want to come back to the reality of being submitted to Jesus and his lordship. So you hand them over. Your will be done. We don't do it As jerks, we don't do it in a mean spirit. We just say, if you're gonna choose to live that way, then you can choose to live that way. But we're not going to erase God's will, God's word, God's wisdom. We're not going to turn a blind eye just because you're choosing to live in a way that's causing harm and destruction to the body and our witness of King Jesus. So he says, again, I tell you, that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Jesus puts parameters on this kind of action. Now, first of all, that passage gets hijacked for every prayer meeting and whatever, but the context or when believers just hang out The actual context is when two or three are gathering and dealing with sin in brothers and sisters to restore and reconcile relationship. When we're doing that, we have the authority of heaven and Jesus is in the middle of that meeting seeking to reconcile brothers and sisters. That passage has been misquoted. Although it's true, Jesus is with us. But the passage, the weight of the passage is the meeting is dealing with sins and hurt within the body of Christ And when we're willing to do it, Jesus says, where two or three are doing this reconciling work, I'm right there in the middle of them. They're not just being mean and wanting to correct sin in everybody. No, this is kingdom work. This is what it means to be and participate in the church. We don't make these kind of brash decisions of handing over and saying, like Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, just one person who's offended and say, you're done. No, he's given us parameters. We don't do it in haste or as jerks or as a knee-jerk reaction. It's prayerful, it's discerned, it's under spiritual authority and leadership. And that's why he says, if they refuse to listen to you one-on-one, bring two or three more. So again, this is an extreme, but real-life situation. If they don't listen to one and then they don't listen to two or three, bring it before the whole church. And then if they still choose to not repent, and live overt lifestyles that are blatantly opposed to the gospel, to the word and will of God, you hand them over and say, I'm sorry. You don't even even say to say, I'm sorry. You hand them over in fear and trembling and ask and plead with God's mercy to reveal the path that they've chosen to walk on and, and hope that God would grant them repentance and remorse for their behavior. Jesus, I love this. This is, I'm gonna close. This is one was way too long, but uh, right in the middle of the messiness of sin within the church, Jesus is in the midst. I wanna close with that. He's in the midst helping us make these difficult decisions with confidence and clarity. Where two or three are gathered in the midst of dealing with sin within ourselves and with brothers and sisters, when the relationship is strained, jesus is like i'm right there when it's the hardest case i'm in the middle of that whole process sin disrupts agreement sin at its core is selfish and selfishness literally makes community impossible and this is why jesus takes it so seriously when members of the church continually reach for the fruit of sin, we're not making progress into new creation, but we're moving backwards into the chaotic waters that we read about in Genesis one, when God brought beauty and order out of chaos. Who is it built on? Jesus. Who is it built by Jesus? Who does it reveal and confess? Jesus. How is it meant to operate? Cross-carrying, denying ourselves following Jesus as fellow brothers and sisters who are students of the master teacher, Jesus himself. And that we're meant to steward the grace and gifts that he's given us with an eternal reward at the end of the age. And when you do that, there's gonna be sin, there's gonna be relational strife and difficulty. So you've gotta show up and deal with it in the way Jesus has prescribed for his church to operate as a reconciling community that doesn't turn a blind eye to sin within ourselves or within our brothers or sisters, but addresses it head on. Why? Not because we're mean-spirited and, and raining on people's parade, but because Jesus wants the potency of his church to be so hot with with holy love, that it's the most powerful force that he wants to release on the earth. That when people come, they feel drawn to the very life of Jesus because we all have said, we've got a million miles to go, but we're committed to becoming more and more like our King and our Master Jesus at the center. So anything in our lives that's destroying our lives personally, causing strain and strife, relationally, we're gonna be serious about it because we want the potency of our witness to be strong and fiery and hot in the midst of the chaos that abounds around us in our world. We do this with mercy, with grace, and with the long game in mind. This is what Jesus says about the church in Matthew 16 and then Matthew 18. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that amazing when you think about how counterintuitive that is to many of us when we think about the church and what it means to be a part of the church. Many of us, if we're honest, myself included, I'm the first to raise my hand. I've not taken some of these things or many of these things seriously enough. But I want to because I want to be a part of a church that Jesus is building with the help of Shepherds and leaders, and every member of the body of Christ, every son or daughter, brother or sister in the family of God. Guys, it's worth the work. It's worth it because we long to be a part of that hellstorming, kingdom advancing mission that Jesus gave us to participate in. So we'll finish part three on this little mini series on the church and our next teaching.